Life is a canvas. Listen as Dr. Allison R. Tendler and her guests paint the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and business leaders on her podcast, The Art of Seeing Clearly. Through insightful questions and thought-provoking conversation, Allison and her guests explore the essence of what it means to truly experience life, business, entrepreneurship, love, success, and even failure through a clearer lens. I'm your host, Dr. Allison R. Tendler, board-certified ophthalmologist, surgeon, owner, and CEO at Art Vision and Artisan Skin and Laser Center. I literally, I love my job, but I literally get to work every day to help people see better on the 2020 eye chart. But true clarity in life and business requires sometimes a slightly different kind of vision. I have a passion for learning how other entrepreneurs and leaders find their own clarity, and I want to share with you some of their secrets to success. Today, we are honored to be joined by entrepreneur, author, private equity investor, and regional startup community leader, Matt Paulson. Matt is the founder and CEO of MarketBeat, an Inc. 5000 financial media company that empowers equity investors to make better trading decisions with real-time financial data in-depth analysis, and best-in-class stock research tools. MarketBeat has been recognized by Barron's, Forbes, Entrepreneur, Inc., and Prairie Business for its rapid growth and success. With more than 2.5 million email subscribers, MarketBeat is the largest digital company in the Dakotas. It is the go-to source for individual and institutional investors. Not only that, but over the past decade, Matt has made substantial contributions to South Dakota's startup ecosystem, such as Falls Angels Fund, Startup Sioux Falls, and more. He became the namesake of Dakota State University's Paulson Cyber Incubator in 2020, which aims to accelerate student-led startup businesses. He co-founded Homegrown Capital in 2021, a venture capital firm that makes seed stage and Series A investments in technology-driven companies in the Northern Plains. Matt currently serves on organizing committees for One Million Cups, Hey Sioux Falls, and Innovation Expo. He's written eight entrepreneurship and investing books. The Small Business Administration has recognized Matt for his contributions to the startup ecosystem, naming him their small business champion in 2020. Matt also provides volunteer area nonprofits and Christian ministries, including his alma mater, Kairos University, associated with Sioux Falls Seminary, where he earned his Master of Arts in Christian Leadership. May I add, while working full-time and starting his own business and having a family. Matt lives in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, with his wife, Corrine, and their two children, Micah and Adlin. Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. Wow, I feel like half the podcast got sucked up by that intro. <laughs> oh, well, it's just an intro to a little bit of a recognition of who you are and where you've come and try to set the stage for us. Mm -hmm. So I am just blown away by the magnitude of your business acumen and community involvement. And you've done it in a relatively short time as well. Mm -hmm. So you've done a lot. In order to get there um, and keep yourself, um, uh, keep yourself so active, how do you structure your day? How do you work so effectively and efficiently to make all of this happen? Yeah, you know, a lot of it is kind of a momentum play. Um, you know, I'm 36. I have two kids, married, a lot of family obligations. But when I started in 2006, uh, I was in college, had plenty of free time, uh, not married, no kids. So the fact that I started when I had all my free time really helped out a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, these days, it's get up at you know 6:45 a.m., get my kid to school, 
go to work, come home by four and I'm doing family stuff from four to bedtime. So, uh, you know, now, nowadays I have to fit everything into that, um, you know, seven forty-five to four o'clock kind of window. And that just, uh, means being really focused during the day, staying yeah. focused on what's important and, you know, there's a lot of distractions in the world and just not uh, getting sucked up by them. And then I, I do tend to work Saturday mornings as well when my kids aren't up yet. They sleep in. So um, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a pretty sane schedule these days. These days. Yeah. <laughs> it, always, it always does take the craziness. How do you structure that? Do you have some type of a system that you use that helps you to manage that? Are you pretty much like, hey, I've got everything on a calendar from here, 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 here? Uh, yeah, so it's kind of a mix of, you know, I always plan out my next day, like the last thing I do you know, today. So for tomorrow, like I know that, you know, we have a new employee starting. That means we do this thing called Market University. It takes about three hours where we bring in everybody in a company and the new person. And then we kind of talk about the history of the company and we do it with, all the, with everybody. Just kind of remind us all, like, this is how we got where we are and what we do and what we're all about. So like, I know I'm going to be doing that from eight to 11. And then uh, I mean, I'll have lunch with the staff at noon. And then we'll have Falls Angel Fund from four to six tomorrow. So that will take up some time and um, just kind of roll with it Everything in between. Else. Like I, I've got a list of maybe 10 things that I want to do tomorrow. And hopefully I'll get them all done. If not, then, you know, it just kind of rolls over to the next day. So they'll go over to um, the next day. Yeah. So that, that brings me, you brought up your. Um, your company, your team. That's a really interesting onboarding thing. I don't see that often. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about your team culture and how you've got a team. I'm not sure how many employees now, mm-hmm. 10, nine. Uh, we will be at 13 tomorrow. So 13 that's, tomorrow. That's fun. Yeah. All right, good. Tell me about that onboarding. That's really unique. Why, why is that so important to your team and your culture? Well, Mark B does not like, uh, you know, a lot of companies that people have worked at before they come to Market Beat. Um, we have a lot of flexibility, a lot of trust in our employees and just, hey, we're all professionals. We know what we're doing. We're going to get things done and I'm not going to micromanage you because I don't have time to do that. Um, our management team doesn't have time to do that. And we find that kind of our market university process kind of helps people really understand like, how our company came to be and what we're all about and what we care about. And we talk about, you know, the history and our core values and our expectations and, you know, inviting, you know, all of the existing employees, which is 13 of us now to to be there too, um, is a good just kind of reminder for everybody. Like this is who we are, what we do, why we do it, the way we do it. And uh, it's, you know, it's training for the new employee, but for everyone else, it's kind of reinforcement of our culture and our our values. Yeah. So you talked about why you do things. What, in the you know general sense, what is your why? What is your why behind your ventures, and what motivates you? Yeah. So uh, my kind of personal mission state statement is to build systems based businesses so that I can uh, give generously to the kingdom of God and provide for my family. So um, you know, I want to make sure my wife and my children are taken care of, and frankly, they are, and we make plenty of money from that, and. You know, the rest of it is I, I want to do some good in the world while, while I'm here and, you know, maybe do good in ways that, um, you know, it, it's, it's easy to write a check, but when you just write a check, there's not always accountability that goes with it. And I find that a lot of nonprofits need accountability and that they aren't getting. So, you know, for me, it's been, I found the thing that I care about, which is kind of the startup ecosystem stuff. 
and uh, you know, Sufal Seminary as well. I care deeply about that organization. And yeah. it's like you yes, got your uh, a master's there, correct? Yeah, and uh, they yeah. invited me to be on the board, and I've been on the board for uh, seven years now. I got one more year left, and then I then I'm turned off. So uh, I'll feel like I finished that well, but it's providing your expertise and your money and your time and your attention and kind of bringing everything you can to the table and would be making much more of a difference than you could otherwise just by being a check writer. So is that how you determine what you're going to spend your time on? Um, if it meets those criteria that it, you know, Hey, that is, that is worthy of my time, which is limited and gets probably gets pulled a lot. So what is kind of your, your litmus test for that of where you're going to be, what you're going to spend your yeah. time on? Yeah. I mean, for me, it, it, there's a few different questions that I ask. Um, you know, one, is it something that I care about? Two, is it a big enough opportunity for me? Like if I put all my time and energy into this, what's going to happen? Like what's going to change either in my life or somebody else's life or in the community. And you know, if it's just not going to make a huge difference to anybody, then, then I'm not, probably not going to do it. Right. Cause time is limited and you got to spend, um, you know, your, your best energy on what's most important. And then mm -hmm. three, like, is it something I feel like I can actually make a difference on? Like, um, like my daughter has a, a genetic condition and like I could spend all the time in the world on that. And I'm probably not going to come up with a cure for that because uh, I have a computer science and a Christian leadership degree. Right. Uh, so me putting time into like solving that problem, not going to go very far, but like doing, you know, creating new sources of venture capital in South Dakota. Like, yeah, I'm going to go far in that because I know what I'm doing and uh, have some expertise in it. Tell me a little bit about Market Beat. Um, it's been your baby since about 2006. And in a few words, what exactly does it do and how did you make it a business? You started mm -hmm. off at, so you're at Dakota State, um, computer science, mm -hmm. and here you are with a software company that is analyzing all this data for mm -hmm. investors and finance. So how did that come to be? So it started in 2006 over Christmas break, and it started because I needed money. And the job opportunities in Madison, that. South Dakota were very, very limited. So you could, you could work at like McDonald's or Subway or a gas station or Sunshine. And if you qualified for work study at the university, you could do that. Uh, where where in study were you in 2006? Where, where were you in your I was in your a career? I was, I think I was a junior. Okay. Okay. So um, I had done the crappy jobs for a while and like, kind of done with that. So I thought, you know, I got to figure out a way to make money where it doesn't really matter where I am because the making money opportunities in my college town are very limited. Uh, so that started um, doing some freelance writing on the internet. I was interested in personal finance, wrote about personal finance. Uh, that led to the creation of an investing blog called American Consumer News, which is why our company name is still American Consumer News LLC. It's never changed it. And then that led to <laughs> creation of an investing blog and then some investing research tools. And then we bought the MarketBeat domain name in 2015. So it's been this slow evolution over time of building out the brand. And, you know, we get a little bit better at what we do every day. And um, yeah. And it's so, been growing um, extremely quickly. You've gone from, I mean, an employee of one, you, um, which you still were very successful at and, mm -hmm. and did a great job at building the company. Um, at that time, and now you're over a $10 million company and uh, with your employees. So that's, that is just, your team is small and mighty, I would say. 
Yeah, our, our superpower is we are really good at developing systems and automating stuff and doing things at scale. So we have like 2.75 million EMO subscribers. We're forecasting to do 30 million in revenue this year with 13 people. Like that just doesn't happen, right? The- uh, you, like typically your revenue per employee is maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars. So with the team of size we have, we should be making like 10% of the revenue that we have. So is that, is that an anomaly or in your industry, is that more of a norm? Uh, I would say it's an anomaly. Like investors business daily would be considered like a large competitor of ours. They have maybe 50, 60 million annual revenue and they also have 250 employees. Like that would be yes. more common. I think of with my business where my revenue is and how many employees I need to get to that. And that doesn't even scratch the surface of where you're at. So just yeah. a, that's a, did you have any inkling of that? That's where things would head or was it more organic? What was um, your vision and your plan? Um, I don't, there was no vision and there was no plan. So it's a uh, great you know, way to start a business, right? <laughs> no, no, but uh, you know, I'm an incrementalist. So it's always like, right. what's that next 5% opportunity for us? Yeah. And asking that question every single day for 16 years now has led to the creation of this business. So of it's this. how can I make a little bit more money today than I did yesterday? And you know, sometimes we find big ideas and that makes a meaningful like impact on revenue. Sometimes we find small ideas that make us an extra five to $10,000 a month. And, you know, if we just kind of keep that process going and going and going over one period of time, um, that's worked out pretty well for us. Did you ever have like an aha moment that, um, that can kind of compelled you in the direction of being an entrepreneur? Um, other than true need to... Yeah, I mean, it have- started in middle school, high school. Um, okay. So when I was like, I think I was 12 or 13, but I went to middle school and my mom worked at the elementary school. So I would ride the bus from the middle school to the elementary school where my mom worked. And I'd have like an hour every day just to mess around in the library, which meant playing on a computer. So uh, I built a little website about SimCity 2000, a video game. Uh, that, you know, it's long, nobody plays anymore. Um, but I put ads on a website and like people actually went to the website and I was making like $20 a month in advertising revenue, which for somebody who is like 12 or 13 in the mid nineties was. That's awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I you didn't need to babysit. Like, you were, you were selling, selling your programs. Yeah. I was selling uh, a game. Fix what, long, I mean, long before Google AdWords was a thing and everybody, you know, did it. It was this little ad network called safe audit. Like you could put banners on your website. And if people signed up for a free hosting account, you'd make a dollar 50. So I'd get like seven, you know, maybe 20 people a month sign up for the free hosting account. And uh, I'd get checks for like 25 bucks in the mail every, every so month. This, so this great. has been something that has been like, Hey, I know how this system works. Mm-hmm. And now here's market bait. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, for me, it was kind of in, in my blood. I was the guy making fake candy stores at school, selling candy to my friends at school. I was the guy going through the park and collecting aluminum cans and turning them in for scrap. Uh, you know, I mean, we didn't, we didn't have money growing up. Like we, I mean, we weren't poor, but we were definitely like lower middle class. My parents lived in a 1200 square foot home. Uh, we didn't live in a good part of town. And if I wanted money, I had to figure out a way to get it. That wasn't asking mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Cause like we got an allowance. It was like a dollar a week. And 
that could, would let me go to the swimming pool one time a week. And I want to go to the swimming pool more than one time a week. So how am I going to get there? Yeah. Where, what's my, what's my goal and how am I going to make it happen through my own efforts Mm -hmm. and and dedication? So that being said, it took only, you know, you know, 15 years for market beat to really get off the ground. And it sounds like you were just a, you know, one of those overnight success stories, right? No, 15 years I mean, is not an overnight success yeah. story. It's a lot of work. It's every, a, every overnight success story seems to take about 10 years. I, I mean, we're, we're yeah. 10 times the size we were five years ago. And it's just uh, that compound this, growth. Yeah, that exponential growth where you say mm-hmm. you're heading in the next year. So what are some tips you can provide to new entrepreneurs to avoid or overcome some of the obstacles that came with mm-hmm. your starting a business? So I think at least in terms of, you know, kind of internet businesses, you know, people spend too much time on a product and not enough time on the marketing. turns out like your website can be total garbage, but as long as your marketing is good, you'll make money. Um, so like in terms of your time breakdown, you should spend like 70% of your time on like marketing and sales and um, getting people to your, your, you know, your website. Um, the actual like building a website part should be 20 to 30% of your time. Um, and people don't realize that they spend too much time on building the product and not enough time in marketing the product. Uh, that is a mistake I see in almost every internet business that I run into. That is extremely valuable. I'm sure not only for our listeners, but also um, for someone as such as myself. Um, one of the things you stated once was as far as helping grow, um, looking for meeting with, looking for people, um, colleagues in similar industries at your at your level of growth. I don't know if you recall saying something like that. What about the comment you just said though? Made me think of dissimilar industries, such mm-hmm. as what would, how could your company be compatible with something like mine? I'm in the healthcare field. I'm a mm-hmm. solo entrepreneur. I still think that there are several crossovers and things that mm-hmm. we could learn from each other. Um, mm-hmm. Any ideas on, or thoughts on that? Hmm. So like, what could I, like, what, like, what have I learned that would be applicable to your business? Is that kind of a question? Even, even from just a business owner, even though we're such disparate industries, yeah. we're very different, but I know there's got to be some crossover there. And I find value in meeting with people from, uh, from different industries and looking for those uh, kind of crossover similarities too. Sure. You know, you know, I think for you, you know, I, in terms of, your business, I, you know, I think you would probably benefit more from thinking about like your sales funnel and what that looks like and really tracking those metrics. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I know exactly how many people filled out an opt-in form on my website every day. I know how many of them clicked on an ad. I know how many of them, you know, upgraded or even like went to our sales page. So, f- so for you, I would think like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, my product is X. Um, you know, what does my sales funnel look like and how do I optimize that? I, I, I love that. I love that takeaway already. Tell me a little bit about um, how your faith plays a role in your business and helps mm-hmm. guide your decision-making. Yeah. Uh, so I'm Christian. You make no, yes. no bones about it. And, you know, I, I think for me, I, I try in my business to uh, emphasize or live out the fruits of the spirit and, uh, you know, really treat others in a way that honors them and honors me. So like, you know, if you're dealing with me and I tell you something, like it is what it is, I'm not BSing people. Uh, we try to be really honest with people upfront. Um, 
and you know we don't do bad deals with people we do deals that are fair for everyone and you know there are so many people uh you know i especially think in like the real estate industry where i dabble and the way people sometimes make money is by like hiding stuff from other people and you know maybe not disclosing something or like you know fudging the numbers and like making the deal look better than it is and um you know like that's very common in that industry and like okay we're not going to do that like uh, we know what all the industry standards are and every number is and what fair deal, fair, fair deal terms are. And like, that's just what we're going to do. So when our advertisers and other publishers that we work with, like deal with market beat, they know what they're going to get. And there's not going to be any surprises down the line. And I think that's worked out really well for us um, because, you know, the advertisers that come to us know that we're not trying to pull one over on them or trip them in any way. It's like, it is what it is. If it works out for you, that's great. If not, then you don't have to come back again. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, the base of of which you make those decisions and those thought processes on is is awesome, and your customers then know that too. And there's a lot of respect there. Tell me about your interest in startups. What mm-hmm. led to your passion for that? So it started probably about eight years ago. Um, I had just gone full-time for my business about six months in. I was working out of my basement at my old house. My wife was a teacher. She would go to school during the day. We didn't have kids yet. Actually, no, we didn't have one kid yet. Uh, we had one kid. Uh, Mike was born. But uh, it was a pretty lonely experience to like run a business by myself, not have any employees, not have anywhere to go. Like I would just be at home all day. And then you know, my wife would come home, and we'd mostly be at home, too. And like, this... Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't like that. I wanted to, you know, I'm yeah. a pretty social guy. I wanted to meet other people doing similar types of things and see what I could learn from them and be more involved. And uh, my good friend, John Meyer, started uh, One Million Cups as their event. Okay. And, okay. Uh, you know, right about the same time, I was interested in getting involved with stuff. And, uh, yeah, um, so I went, started going to that, met a lot of interesting people and, uh, realized that, you know, hey, I've got some experience that could be valuable to some other people. So uh, I remember 2014 sometime, uh, I think it was like Thanksgiving, but there was like a Wednesday when they weren't going to do one million cups and a bunch of people wanted to meet anyway. So I said, hey, how about we do a mini mastermind event and you guys can bring your problems and we'll all talk about them. And that was kind of the first event that I did eight years ago. And since then, I was like, oh, I've got something to offer a lot of people. And you know, here we are um, eight years later and I've kind of grown into kind of be a key player in the startup ecosystem. You know, Brianna Mina and I work a lot on things yes. together and uh, I know she was on your podcast. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I can't be a full-time like nonprofit executive that does startup stuff, but in terms of like being, you know, provide, you know, being on the board and being an advisor and that kind of stuff, like, um, yeah, I can do a lot of that. And I feel like I'm good at it. Like I want to see other people succeed in the way that I've succeeded. So that motivates me to create resources to help other people. What factors, because I know you also work with a lot of venture uh, capitalists, you do a lot of uh, private equity. So as you're looking at startups, what factors do you feel like, hey, this startup is going to be successful? Um, How do you vet them? Yeah, there's... Like you can usually tell when somebody's not going to be successful because there are just so many red flags and you eventually like figure out all of them. Like, you know, lack of, you know, you're like deciding, Hey, I know what I don't want to do, but (laughs) yeah. 
So like you meet somebody and then you meet them a month later and they haven't like made any progress. Like, you know, like, yeah, person's probably not going to make it and they're going to end up going to get a job. And you're almost always right about that. Okay. Uh, it's, you know, what, what you end up looking for is really traction. Like what have you actually done? You has, is anybody paying you money? Um, is there a growth trajectory there? That's kind of what you look for and like, okay, um, are you doing something unique or interesting or something that not, you know, a hundred other people are doing? Um, and like, that's kind of what you look for is you look for that external validation. So there's, you know, anybody can come up with an idea. Anybody can come up with a business plan. Not everybody can get a customer. So if you can get a customer and then you can get more customers, like that's always a fantastic sign. It's like, yeah, this company's going somewhere. How um, much do you, time do you spend with people in that, that startup stage or let's say a, a startup Sioux Falls? Um, where are people at when they get there? Because they also need, you talk about seed money and mm-hmm. giving into their business. Um, I know they're usually putting their own capital and time in to begin mm-hmm. with as well. Um, how, does that, how, how does that process work? And how do you decide um, we're going to give this Mm-hmm. I don't know, this amount of seed money for me is a, a little of an elusive topic. It's not my world. Yeah. So teach me a little. Yeah. So there's, so when you first get, you know, somebody first gets involved, you know, starts their business, um, you know, they probably aren't worthy of like any seed money at all. Okay. Like you want them to have <laughs> some kind of proof of concept okay. where, like maybe you have a demonstration version of your software and you, know, you have a first customer and like, okay, then you might be ready for that 50 or a hundred thousand dollar check from an angel fund. So like false angel fund tends to be the first people that write a check into a company. Then it tends to be, you know, maybe $50,000 or a hundred thousand dollars. And then maybe, maybe somebody's dad puts in money or somebody's cousin, or maybe there's another angel investor that puts in money. So Often, at least in this region, we see that kind of first round of money, about $250,000. Okay. And let's say they, they invest that well, company's growing, um, maybe not profitable yet, but like that path is there. Um, then, we, then we can say, okay, um, you know, um, this company is really ready for some growth capital. So maybe in that one to $3 million range. So uh, earlier this year, I launched a new venture capital fund called Homegrown Capital. Uh, my partner yeah. in it is a guy named Tim Wilbur up in Brookings, but we raised uh, $17 million to invest in that kind of one to $3 million fund mm-hmm. round kind of range. People that have also uh, already gone through the, um, yeah. the smaller stage. So maybe, yeah. So maybe at that stage, they've got like a quarter million dollars in revenue. They've got like something that works. People like it. They're doing something unique and different and they've got that growth path there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of when you start pouring money on onto the fire to, really accelerate that really growth. Maybe, accelerate. maybe they hire some more software developers. Maybe they hire some more salespeople. Um, really, maybe they do more, more advertising. It's like, what, you know, what can you pour money onto that? will really kind of accelerate that uh, so they can get to profitability and, and eventual exit. I think you and a lot of other entrepreneurs out there too. I mean, you think big, you've got these, these big ideas, big concepts, multiple businesses. I say you've got one baby, but you've got a partner in many others. You're a partner in many, many other businesses. How can you challenge the thought process of someone who may be thinking like too small, who might be Mm -hmm. struggling to see there's something bigger out there and it's actually more scalable than they think it is? Or is that their thing to get over and not something Mm -hmm. to help them make them see? 
Um, well, you know, there's... Or do you think the thing is a problem for businesses? No, you know, I, I think people, you know, need to have a good understanding of like what kind of life they want to live. Like I thrive in a complexity of like juggling multiple businesses, being like just having super jam-packed days. And uh, I kind of like that. Um, you know, I, I had a meeting um, about, a, um, I had a meeting, like we're going to do a new office downtown. I had a meeting about that today. I had a meeting about a venture capital deal. I had a meeting about a gift agreement that I'm working on for a, a philanthropic thing that I'm working on as well. So I kind of like like going from thing to thing to thing to thing. And like by the end of the day, like, yeah, I got a whole bunch of stuff done. I feel great about it. But that's so that, that, that feeds you, that but, empowers you, that, that, yeah, that drives you. That, yeah. that life isn't for everybody, right? Yeah. Uh, you have to be wired that way. And it's good to understand how you're wired. And uh, like my friend Mitch, who runs a coffee shop, Queen City Bakery, like, that's his one thing. That's what he does. He loves getting up at 5 a.m., going open a coffee shop. You know, his wife makes baked goods and they sell them. And, you know, they have a nice little business. They probably get like 100 grand a year or something like that from them. And like, they love that. But like, yeah. I would suck doing that. And he would suck doing what I do. So it's kind of understanding how you're wired and, yeah. you know, building the right type of business that kind of fits your personality and your drive. And, you know, the, there are people that like me that want to shoot the moon and be as, as successful as you possibly can be and do the most you can possibly do. And then there are people that, uh, you know, are, are content, um, you know, at, at other levels, like, at other know, levels. well, because their wise are different. Yeah. They're, they're wise and who they are, are different. What I figured out is that like money has, as you have more of it, like the marginal utility of it goes down, like, you know, if you make a million dollars a year or $10 million a year or a hundred million dollars a year, or even like $500,000 a year, like you can all eat at the same restaurants. Like the restaurants don't get better as you have more money. Uh, you know, the car is still going to drive you someplace, whether it says Mercedes or Kia on it. Right. Uh, so at some point, like money just becomes less useful. Like it doesn't do much for you at a certain point. And, mm -hmm. um, like if you say, okay, I, I've got all my needs taken care of and I'm good with that. Like, good on you. Like, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's beautiful. Thank you for your, your ex explanation on that. Why did you say earlier, you said something about being, you know, lonely. And I've, mm -hmm. I've read about, um, a word being, being at the top is lonely. Sometimes mm -hmm. building a business is lonely. What advice do you have for others to try to combat that? The only thing that I found that really works is, finding peers that are just kind of in a similar business stage with you and spending time with them. So, um, that has been helpful for me because if you're around people that have, have the same problems that you have or have had the same problems you have, um, that is very encouraging because like we, so we got sued last year over an accessibility issue on our website uh, somebody else in my mastermind group had the same issue and like, here's how we solved it. And I'm like, great. I'm not the only person that's ever faced this problem. And here's the solution. And then like this year, another guy in our group had the same issue. And I was like, here's how I solved it. And here's how this guy solved it. You go do that too. So it makes you feel less alone in the issues that you run mm -hmm. into. Like, you know, people don't understand like how much of a burden it is to like run a business. Cause like we have 13 employees and that means we have 13 people that depend on our company for an income and 
they have spouses and children and other dependents. And if you add it all up, it's like 75 people. So like, um, that's not even including all the people that we work with in terms of our advertisers and our users. Like there's a lot of people that depend on market, the market income stream to like, you know, put food on the table. And that's a, that's a burden. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm sure you see the same thing. Like mm-hmm. you have employees and like, if you don't pay them, uh, they don't have money and uh, they don't have money. They're not going to go buy groceries. So that's a, yeah. that's a big burden that business owners have that, you know, not unless you've been there and done that, you can't appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And be able to talk with those about yeah. those issues and those challenges in a, a non, I want to say in a non-threatening slash safe environment where you can just yeah. speak freely. And like, unless you've kind of reached that stage, like, you know, you know, if you talk to somebody who has, who maybe only ever had a day job and let's say never achieved significant business results, you yeah. know, you often hear comments like, how could you have any problems? You're rich. Or how could you have any yeah. problems? You've had, you're so successful. Like, yeah, yeah you still have problems. They're just different problems and they're yeah. more complex problems. Yeah. Yes. So my mission as we close up for today, um, mm-hmm. my, my mission in my work area, in my work life is to help people see the world better, literally, mm-hmm. but um, they also get to see themselves better. And so see the world better, see yourself better. What do you feel, Matt, are some of your personal te- techniques for seeing yourself better and seeing yourself more clearly? Yeah. So I know that my weak spot is that I want to do everything all the time. So sometimes if I have an opportunity, like I have to, that might take a significant amount of time or money. I, you know, I've got to, I should, I know that I shouldn't just say yes right away because I'm excited about it. I, you know, talk to my wife about the idea. Maybe I talked to a couple of my employees about the idea that I've known for a long time. Maybe I talked to business partners about the idea and just, uh, I know that my natural inclination is to say yes too often. So I try to get people that I trust in my life to vet some of these ideas before I just run off and go do them. And that's been really helpful to me. Anything else you do at home, anything or with your personal time um, that's like, Hey, this is how I maintain my clarity. Um, you know, I can't remember where I heard it, but you know, n- nobody on their deathbed, like, regrets spending too much time with their family. Um, nobody says that, oh, man, I wish I had worked more. Yeah. So, you know, when 5 o'clock hits around, like, I am not going to look at my, my work the rest of the night. And I'm going to feed the kids supper and do baths and put them to bed. And, like, I do probably way more of that than uh, what a lot of people at my level of success would. And, like, we're not, you know, Kree and I, we're not hiring a nanny. We're not hiring a maid. Like, we do that stuff. And I feel like people in my position, uh, so oftentimes it's like, okay, who can I hire to optimize my time? Who can I hire to watch my kids? Who can I hire to clean my driveway? And like, I feel like people try to optimize their time too much. And then they just kind of miss out on like uh, the human experience of like having kids and, um, you know, being married and um, being part of a family. So um, I've intentionally not tried to optimize that. Um, So like every Saturday, my, I take my daughter and she'll tell me that she wants to go to the science museum or she wants to go to Target or wherever. And we go do that every single Saturday because I know that she's not going to be five forever. And uh, I yeah. won't be glad that I spent that time with her and not, you know, working every Saturday. 
at the at the end of the day um, and at the end of life that will be what um, has probably given you the most fulfillment mm -hmm. knowing that you were there mm -hmm. so with everything that you've done matt it's been a pure joy to have you on with me today uh, clearly your passion your story your why you're making amazing changes in fulfilling your own mission as well as changing the lives of others and You've got amazing, great things ahead of you, um, and you're going to trailblaze them. And you're going to do it simply because of who you're meant to be, which, as we've talked about, doesn't come out without hard work and all the dedication that you have to put into it. After all, uh, only by working hard can you become lucky, right? Your art of seeing clearly is truly inspiring. Thank you for sharing it with us. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.